Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Thought Feeder Podcast. This episode was recorded back in October of 2020 with our friend Will Noble from Funnelback, and it's sponsored by Squiz and their digital experience platform, along with Funnelback, a search platform specifically geared towards higher education. You can find out all about the products that they offer at squiz.net, but let's get into the conversation. Welcome to the Thought Feeder Podcast. My name is Joel Goodman. With me, as always, is the not quite as cold as I am, John Stephen Stansel. We're so thankful to Funnelback for sponsoring this episode of Thought Feeder. Funnelback is a site search engine specifically geared towards higher education. We're super excited to have Will Noble here from Funnelback with us to talk about just general search challenges and opportunities inside higher education. Will, thanks for being on the show. We're really glad to have you here. No problem. Thanks for having me on. No, I've been watching you guys from afar and, and now I'm living it, so couldn't be happier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such such adventure on this morning. Uh, <laughs> so let's dive right in. I think search is one of those, especially site search is one of those sticking points that every institution encounters as they're working on a web redesign, or even if they're not working on a web redesign, that's the one thing that always gets complained about by people that are higher up. It's vice presidents saying, well, the search results aren't as good as blah, 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 blah. You know, what I get on Google or what I get on, you know, wherever. And then the web person is tasked with figuring out, okay, how do we fix these search results? And I think a lot of times there isn't enough knowledge internally to figure out how to do that. Or the places where the the web folks know what to do with search, they're just not given the right tools, the right funding. And so I, w- I want to start out because as an agency owner, I've dealt with this a lot. Will, why does search suck so much in higher education and on <laughs> university websites? Uh, well, I'm glad we got the hour because uh, we can go through it all. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I think initially that beginning you talked about, there's just a disconnect, right? So like if you're a, a dean or someone high up or, or doesn't have much in knowledge of the mechanics of a website and how that all works, then your only exposure to search is, is just google.com, right? And it just knows exactly yeah. what you want to find. And there's tens of thousands of engineers trying to make that smarter and billions of search queries every day that is is tuning that algorithm. And, and now there's definitely look point there to think about, okay, you know, more user interactions with a search engine will arguably make it more intuitive and better. But site search is slightly different to that because it just doesn't have millions of databases to to infer all of that that intent and that those relationships. So when you do go onto a university website and you're searching for like a program or a certain policy document, if it doesn't come in the top two results, people think, oh well it's just completely broken and who am I going to call? I'm going to call my web person and rant to them and say why isn't it working? This is unacceptable. But a lot of the time, like you said as well, is that the teams that do manage it don't have the ability to, to change it when they do. So you now the most ubiquitous search engine on the market in North America is, is Google Custom Search, which is great for a free tool. If you've got a website, there's a couple of thousand pages at maximum, then it's, it's a really efficient way of providing search over your website. But if you're a university with hundreds of thousands of pages and so much content that it's impossible to find stuff, then it does fall over somewhat and you don't have the ability to make those changes. And I think when you select Google Custom Search as the search engine solution for your university website, you're caught in that position, like sort of how how social media networks kind of capture people. People complain all the time about, 
you know, social media networks and how they're servicing content and blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, you're using it for free. Like you're not paying them for anything special. And so you're kind of at the whims of that service to do what they will. And we've seen this in the last couple of years with Google. I mean, as they, you know, they started taking their, their old site search product and sunsetting that and then moving everyone over. Like Google used to have an actual like hardware appliance that you'd go stick in your server room. And, you know, they got rid of that a few, you know, what that's probably like eight years ago that they got rid of that. And when you use Google custom search, it, one, it's just super ugly. Like, I mean, that's like their new logos about it. Yeah, like Google's <laughs> new logos for everything. Yeah, but I mean, but custom, custom search is so ugly. It's an embeddable little input, and then you have an iframe that you toss on a page somewhere, and there isn't a lot of customizability with it, or you really have to, you really have to have good JavaScript and CSS chops to make it look okay whatsoever. But then at the same time, until you start paying at a higher level, you don't really get any control over it. And I think universities a lot of times are going for the cheapest option. They're like, well, cool. Google is what I use every day for normal web searches. And Google has this free thing. So Google is going to make our search engine results better on our website. But as you were saying, well, like Google is Google's great with billions and billions of data points because that's what their algorithms are set to tweak and to figure out and to surface from. But when you're feeding in a, a few thousand records, are you getting that press release from seven years ago that has nothing to do with your current program offerings or anything like that? Or are you actually able to, to kind of lift those things? And, and I think that's one of the big downfalls of using something so simple as Google custom search. I, I never recommend Google custom search. I would say that like 90, 98% of the web projects that I've worked on in higher education, the bravery media has worked on higher education I come in, I look at the site and it, they're using Google custom search engine and it's just the ugly embed and it's hidden away off in a corner because, you know, search isn't really important or it's, it, I think usually people know it's really ugly and they just think like, well, we have to have search on our site, mm. but because <clears> Google <throat> custom search is ugly, they hide it. And then they just kind of sit there thinking of it as an afterthought. I think this is part of the other issue is that when folks aren't looking at what is out there from a from a solution perspective with search they're also just not putting any weight on the importance of search on their site and so they're not measuring how it works and when you're mm. not measuring it it doesn't add to that weight what have you seen especially in the higher education industry in terms of our institutions starting to measure how effective their search engines are on their current sites should they be like is there a business case for for looking at search as something that's integral to how people use their website? Hands down, yes. Lots of other industries have caught wind of this, you know, most notably e-commerce and understanding of what exactly are people trying to find on our site and uh, can we measure it and then can we improve? And that's like table stakes for most of the web right now. And that's definitely not the case in, in higher ed just yet. So there is one institution who I know who are nailing this, and he's um, a gentleman called Alan Etkin at, at British Columbia Institute of Technology. He's a digital analyst over there. Um, he also consults with, with Google Analytics for institutions in higher ed. He can thank me for that plug on this podcast later. Um, <laughs> that he didn't realize he was going to get. He basically effectively measures all of the data points on interactions on the university website. And then he can then infer the value of certain functions across the site relative to just a normal web visitor who just hits the homepage and clicks around a bit. And uh, he found that, you know, a few interesting insights, you know, people that 
go to the news section, weirdly, are actually quite valuable because they're kind of invested mm. in understanding about the institution. They'll end up clicking a call to action at a higher propensity. But then the same for, for people who use site search. So they're actually you know, five times more valuable on a monetary sense. You work with admissions to find that, that monetary value. And then that gave him the kind of the armory to go to his boss and, and say, look, okay, if the visitors who use search convert at five times the the, uh, the time that they do when just a normal visitor, then we should maybe make sure that that experience is as intuitive as it could be and make improvements and, and make some modest investments to to make some improvements. And there are a few things in Google Analytics that you can look at, like click-through rate, abandonment rate, and I think he uses search refinement rate as well. But a lot of the problem, the problem we have with the, and I, I've, I have complete empathy with higher education because you guys have impossible jobs if you're a web team because you've, you've got so much you need to manage on such a shoestring budget and making sure that we're measuring all these interactions on your site is just a challenging task. And most of the time you'll inherit a Google Analytics from a predecessor that wasn't set up correctly on a site that you don't necessarily manage all of the moving parts. There are other schools and departments that have their own wall garden that they can they can look at. And so that makes measuring site search and, and measuring its improvement fairly challenging. But going back to the earlier point about kind of Google Custom Search, you know, Google Custom Search is just like a data hall for Google. You know, if we think about Google, it's like that concept in telecoms industry about um, the walled garden in the sense that, okay, everything needs to land on Google.com. We don't want people going to their own websites. We're going to put direct answers and add knowledge panels and all that kind of stuff. And you know, as we're seeing with the DOJ about the monopoly, that lawsuit that's coming up about the monopoly, you have to kind of wonder, is that Google Custom Search, is that their main business model moving forward, which I, I expect it's not. But yeah, anyway, I've kind of gone back off course there. So um, yeah, back on, <laughs> on measuring search. When we go into an engagement, when we work with universities, it's often the case they're like, oh yeah, we've got some search terms set up. You know, we know that people are trying to find their transcripts. People are trying to find, they search for the word you know, alumni or library. But that's pretty much as, as far as it goes. They don't know, like, <laughs> do visitors find the information they were looking for? And under, query understanding is, is a tricky one, and it takes a little bit of research to get up to speed. And, and also, you need to have the tools available to do that. You mentioned Alan Etkin. Actually, he did, he did a talk at PSC Web earlier this year, which is the, the main higher education web-focused conference for Canada. And uh, I remember watching it. I was helping them stream. <laughs> I was actually doing all the production behind the scenes for, for PSC Web. But Alan's talk was great, and I learned a ton I'll link to I'll link to the the talk or at least the the page that they have listed on the PSC website. Uh, I believe they actually they might have the talk available. Alan does incredible work, and it's one of those things that I remember going back years in U.S. based higher ed conferences and people starting to talk about how you would track these search behaviors and and attach them to monetized behavioral metrics and figuring out how they're tied to the different users and profiles in your CRM and, and that sort of thing. And at some point, I think it just kind of goes over the head of a, a lot of people, especially in higher ed, because you don't necessarily have a lot of data analytics focused people on, on your staff. You know, like everyone's kind of a generalist in most cases. That's not necessarily a great thing for the industry. But I think there's even this deeper issue where search is kind of a dirty word when it comes to user experience. And so even when you're designing the website, search isn't one of those things that comes up as a as a necessary function. It comes up as a, well, we have to have it because everyone has it and probably someone's going to search. But it, it's not really 
built into the overarching user experience and then specific attention isn't given to making that user experience even better you know when you're searching what did the results look like how well are they answering your query can you even find the search field and i think a lot of times in higher ed a user having to search is is seen as kind of a failure of your ux model it means you haven't built your navigation as well i think that's wrong i think they go hand in hand i mean i think your navigation should be really good and your information architecture should be great but that only helps your search have better results and i don't think it's an either or in that case i um completely agree if you don't have trust in in the internal search function so then you hide it in your nav menu with a tiny magnifying glass or something like that and you know you think well we should just rely on navigation for for links it's it's and it's that's actually true that it's a reduced cognitive load for the user to use navigation links than to write a search term but that kind of excludes maybe 20 percent of people who know exactly what they want to find so they'll just go to that search but also we have to be realistic about information architecture in higher ed and just the fact that not everything is going to be labeled in a readable manner. You know, if you're 15, 16, yeah. you don't have any idea about the institutional structure of a site. And a lot of the time, a web team will inherit that structure that they don't have say over. And it's going to be confusing to users. And we kind of have to go back to like, who is it that's just using these internal searches and these websites? And some of them are going to be teenagers who just don't have that, that understanding. And there's this, I'm going to steal a quote from, there's a gentleman called Paul Bogue. He's a US consultant in the US, UK. He was doing case some user testing of prospective students trying to find okay can you go on this university website and find these programs and, and these degrees and then they ended up in the alumni section of the website and then afterwards he like runs some user testing and like oh, well why are you on the the alumni section and he was like that's usually for you know people who've already graduated they were like well we didn't know what alumni meant so we just went and clicked around just to see if that was what we that was the right place to try and try and find it so i think even things of like wow wording that you think everyone must know this right because if you've worked in the, the industry it can still stump certain uh, certain individuals and so that kind of makes the you know search is an important navigation element because it's they're going to be able to type just what they've got in their head of what they're trying to find and what they think it is and then you need to make sure that there's some intelligence with that search engine to, to match what they search for with the right content that's done in the institutional knowledge yeah i can't tell you how many times students have stumbled upon and even sent some of our staff emails like we're the marketing office, but they're looking for the department, the university marketing department and getting mixed up and not really knowing where to turn. So we do have to kind of think of our audiences and what they have in mind and how they don't understand the internal process of the university. I think a lot of that goes back to just research issues, right? And JSU and I have talked about this with other guests. It's just there a lot of times isn't enough weight put on or enough money put toward actually understanding who your users are. And I think a lot of times people just use the, you know, some of the search query data, the the real basic, like here are the queries that people typed in type of stuff that you get from your web search to be that data. And I mean, sometimes it is, but sometimes you you just actually need to go talk to the people directly and figure out what do they call these things? Because how are you going to make the jump from a specific search term to what the actual intent was that someone had when you don't know who that person is? If they're searching marketing and you have a an office of marketing that's on the administrative side, and then you have a marketing program in your business department or a marketing department within your school of business, then 
you know, how you don't know who that person is. You don't know their age. You don't know anything else. And so how are you supposed to just make that jump and infer that, oh, yes, marketing, they were looking for the marketing office and not the marketing program or market, you know, department of marketing. I think that's that's something that we see a lot. How do you figure out or will how do you how do you all recommend universities go about addressing and figuring out these these search journeys for i think not just prospective students i think because we can guide some of that but i think figuring out who these people are through <laughs> through search is it mm-hmm. is it going back and doing that usability and user testing or are there other ways to to start to to pull that data out of out of the search data that's coming into the site it's an inherent challenge if you've got anonymous visitors coming to the site and searching for the same words how do you infer that intent what do you what do you guide them through? There's this concept of information sense that we use in search and when our consultants always talk to, to customers and, we're, and uh, when we're going through these engagements. And we've kind of decided that the way that we can do this for anonymous visitors, and we always have to be conscious of like GDPR and all those, and the, the California directive that's going through, we call rich snippets. So effective labeling of your content on the search page that can, and, and a nice unique identifier that can tell you, okay, this is an administrative page or this is a, a degree page or, no, this is the alumni section, but they can infer all that information on the actual search results page themselves and then make sure that they can then click on the next journey and go down there to something that's more specific. Because if everything looks homogenous and there's heaps of studies that show if your search results page is just a wall of text, 10 links, 10 descriptions with no real delimination between the types of content, then we're inherently going to spend less time searching for that right piece of information. Um, which just shoots abandonment rate through the through the roof and makes it harder. And if we all exhibit frustration when we're searching, especially if you haven't gone to university yet or done a degree and learn a bit more about how to find information through like maybe use Science Direct or like Elsevier or something like that. And you know a bit more about the mechanics of how to search through research. If you haven't done that and you're just a normal visitor, then you're just going to be thinking, okay, this doesn't make any sense. Why am I on this random piece of content? And you either go back to Google or, or you just abandon the session. Let's continue on this kind of search journey for prospects and leading students to find that information that they need. I think so often, one, you mentioned, you know, students who haven't graduated and there's been so much a push on, on working towards recruiting and the overall success of first gen students. And I think when we're not marketing actively towards that. We need to think about that on, on our web pages as well, but also helping them find the programs they need. So why aren't dedicated program finders a thing? Can we do something to better help these students find the right programs for them? Yeah, I think so. This has been a prevailing trend over the last few years that you, I'm sure Joel can, can speak to and attest to, is the way that prospective students are trying to find information or what they want to learn is, is somewhat changing. So they're like maybe a few years ago, you have like, okay, I want to, I want to be an economics major, and that's that was the information you'd go to a liberal arts college website to to try and find. Whereas now people kind of expect a little bit more, especially in the college space with guided pathways. Um, we're seeing a lot more push of like, okay, I want to work with my hands. You know, what can I then? What kind of vocations can I do that's related to that? Or, or I want to be a paramedic, for instance. You know, what kind of certifications and, and degrees do I need to get to to reach that goal? And do you offer those kind of programs for, for me to achieve that? And so previously, this is, there's always just been like a listing view of programs and of titles that are somewhat you know, uh, generic and you don't really know what's, what's going through them. And then you'd have to you know, wade your way through every program page and say, OK, am I interested in doing this? I don't know. Uh, what about this one? Whereas what we're seeing 
someone's doing, I think Joel worked on a project about this, is just allow the visitor to run an initial search. So, okay, what are you interested in? Just go to town. You know, there's there's no limit here. You tell us what you're interested in, and then we'll be able to tell you whether we have a, a direct match for it or not. Yeah, and I think there are a couple of approaches to We know from research into all of, you know, all of higher ed and all the web that most, if not all prospective students are really, they're, they're looking for program information, which, which isn't necessarily information about a specific program that they know. It's just what programs do you have? And is there something that connects to what my specific outcome desires are with a degree? And they're looking for how much does it cost <laughs> to, to go to school? You know, like those are the, the two primary things and, and everything else kind of gets backfilled and is, is supportive of whether they want to be at your individual institution. But, you know, what I think universities in general and colleges have been very slow to adopt what I would think of as like very specific or, or, or faceted search within their websites. Or, you know, we're talking about search being kind of a dirty word in the field of UX. Well, how do you leverage the ability for someone to search as well as kind of reduce that cognitive load that you were talking about, Will? And I think one of the big ones is within the programs that an institution offers, like you were saying, I mean, how you can't expect a prospective student, first gen or or otherwise, to know what you call them, you know, what you call your business management program or something like that. And you can't expect them to know the abbreviations that you have for them. You can't expect them to know what those programs mean in terms of what they're going to be able to do, what sorts of jobs they're going to be able to get and that sort of a thing. And so a lot of the thought has been going into how do we put these into topics, you know, and traditionally with higher ed, we'll organize our programs and this is this has changed over the last decade but we used to be we just organize our program listings by the department or school that they're in and that's fine but sometimes those programs cross fields of study they they cross disciplines for instance my undergraduate degree was called media promotions and though it was in the communication department at my college it also had a very strong management pr marketing aspect to it the same with the pr degree had you know lots of marketing and and stuff in it as well and so for me if if i was coming and and wasn't a you know, wasn't who I am, who is just, you know, very, I just do a lot of research and figure out what I want, <laughs> you know, what I want. And I don't give up very easily. I, I think for, for anyone else, you know, there's, there's also this level of, if you don't know that media promotions, which could have a lot of different media, meanings, because what is media? Like media is a lot of different things and, and, you know, comprises a, a host of different industries how do you figure out what the outcome is of that? And so we've been seeing that a lot more recently with institutions saying, okay, well, these groups of programs can be put under this topic. It may have surfaced in the for-profit world, and that's where I see it more often than not. But it comes down to this, like you were saying, well, do you want to work with your hands? Or if you search business, and it's not just the thing that has business in the title, you know, or you say accounting, and it's like, well, what are all the different things that are related to that? And being able to surface relevant results for that, whether it's, you know, I mean, search can be lightweight, right? It could be as simple as just filtering through and matching a bunch of program results to the terms that someone put in or to some radio buttons that they that they clicked or some check boxes that they selected and adding all of those different kind of meta elements to what that query is going to be a filtering system is basically a type of low level search and a lot of times that that helps someone figure it out so they if they're searching for something that they want to do like maybe they want to work with 
yarn. I want to, I want to knit, I want to knit clothing. It's like, well, cool. Well, maybe you offer textiles and maybe you also offer like a fashion design or a fashion merchandising or, you know, a bunch of different programs like that. And you can offer up these other options that one could be a better fit for someone for, you know, they may have had a vague idea in their head, but you're helping them solidify that. Mm. Uh, But two, you're not making them guess at what you're calling stuff. And for me, I've been doing this in higher ed for you know almost 15 years at this point. I remember a time when it really was just a list of all the programs, like you were saying, Will. It's like here's a giant, sometimes not even bulleted list, you know, mm. of links, and they're all underlined and they're all a color, and it's very difficult to read and parse through that list. And then we started getting a little bit better, and someone designed cards for it, and then they started putting these very simple filters of like, do you want an undergraduate degree or do you want a master's degree? And which is a little bit more helpful, but we're finally to a point where I think there's enough UX design knowledge and sensibility within higher education to realize that no, 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 we can use the the machine learning and the algorithms that go into search or at least the basic principles of that to make what we're offering to people better, those results better, and to increase conversion rates through it. And yeah, and I think there are a lot of ways to, to implement that. I think you can do it on a homepage, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, well, there's a lot to unpack here. And actually, I'd love to yeah, speak yeah. to ask JS in a second about, does he see prospects talking to him on social channels or interacting with him, or is it more internal? But at the beginning, there was your talk about filters and like, this is so easy. Why are we not doing this? There was a review of 700 prospective students. And the second biggest frustration was that university websites didn't have a browse and navigatable experience to filter the programs by like major, minor, undergrad, postgrad, stuff yeah. that you're like, well, table stakes, this is this is easy. Well, everyone must have this. <laughs> but they didn't. And so you can just improve the usability of your site overnight by having that ability to do that. That next one that you talked about, searching for topics over just names is, is really useful. We see like, we see students search for like broader terms, like I'm interested in climate change or something like that. And your system needs to be smart enough to match up. Okay, you're searching for climate change. Maybe you've like seen Extension Rebellion or maybe your school was involved in it, right? And you're like, right, I want to make some do some good in this world and, and all that. And so you want to be able to match up all of your environmental degree study pages into to that topic and then finally you talk I know, i'm interested to see where the market's going as well with this with just a proliferation of online learning and shorter degree types so like you see all those analysts talking at like kaplan or higher ed live at web higher ed live higher ed web and uh, and all that stuff and they're talking about oh, this is going to be the future of learning it's all going to be continuing studies for people who are in employment to, to reskill and you're going to be able to pick up these degree types for and but people want to know how to browse their way through them they want to know how much they cost but like in that sort of program finding experience so as you start adding up diversifying your portfolio of of learning options away from just four-year degrees then then competition is going to get and and the findability that information on your site is going to be paramount yeah definitely js what about social media like i think we've talked about this we get we get all (laughs) the questions when people can't find things on the site or the site search fails them. That's when they jump to social media. And a lot of times they'll even tell you that. They'll be like, I've been on the website. I cannot find X. You know, where is this? As social media managers, we joke all the time. Like, my job is let me Google that for you. But 
again, it's so great. There's a great site that'll do that for you. Yeah, <laughs> but so many they we joke about that, but still, one if site search is hidden away on the homepage, they're not able to search it. They're looking all over for it, and and you know you talked about it being a dirty word. You go to you know random university homepage right now and try and find site search, and it nine times out of 10, it's buried somewhere. And if we as web design, you know, well, I'm not a web designer, but you as a web designer, <laughs> web professional, I should say, can't find it. And I'm on university homepages all the time. Sometimes I still have to dig for it. A student, they're going to bounce so quick and they, they, they jump right over to social. So, you know, sometimes I use that to kind of in, inform and kind of work with my team and say, okay, these are the questions that we're getting a lot on social. Can we highlight that more, more on the website or even look at what people are searching on our website and let that inform my social content and say, oh, you know, people are looking for this a lot. Why don't we do a feature on this program? Because it's getting a lot of traction on our site search right now. I love that. Yeah, this is one of my, well, I've got lots of bugbears in search actually, because I've worked here a few years. But yeah, that magnifying glass, I just, just really gets me. Because yeah, it's just like, it. you need to have a clear location of, you need that, you know, ideally 28 characters wide of if you're trying to find something just navigate here and that should be in the global header and for everyone to see not everyone agrees with me and it's a contentious issue but i think that that's what if we think about the biggest most successful websites in the world like amazon you know they look like well here you go it's a big website and a university it's a conduit for knowledge and it's, it's a big old stuff there's a lot in there just make sure it's easy to navigate but that i really like that using search data to infer what posts you should talk about because that just shows you, you know here is some content that's hidden that that needs to be needs to be up at the forefront um a lot of the time we find some of our more savvy customers they use site search data to infer on information architecture or like the structure of pages so like they'll look at okay you were on this page this giving page and then you search for this right we need to alter our labeling and, and add some call to actions at, at different locations uh, based on that based on that insight and it's, um, it's quite interesting and I think Joe I interrupted you yeah oh, that's that's one of the techniques that we use internally at Bravery when we're when we're looking at fixing or improving the information architecture of a university website and a lot of times we're going in and it's institutions that haven't done anything to their site from a, a structural standpoint in several years but, but I think there's even there's a level of figuring out you can even go more simple, right? You don't even have to look at like, oh, the, you know, they were on this page and they searched for this query because they couldn't find what they were looking for. You could just you can just see where people start dropping off of the site and then figuring out, okay, how do we help them find what they were looking for, whether they searched or not? How can we help how can we help them find what they're looking for? Can we infer something from the content on this page? What was this page's content supposed to do? Where did it fail? <laughs> because because every page should have a purpose for one. You were saying earlier that's a novel there was, concept, Joel. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Well, you were saying earlier that you're talking about a study that showed that news pages were really helpful in terms of you know people actually clicking through and, and finding what they need. But I think that also highlights that news stories need to not be black holes. They need to actually be tied to some sort of business goal. And so there needs to be a call to action within there. There needs to be some path to get toward a goal. And the news story is not just there to inform 
inform someone of the story's content. You know, it's it's about moving someone through to a program or moving them through to make a donation or moving them through through to learn more about an initiative that the university is doing that hopefully then guides them along to a path. I think there's a, a bit of casualness there that kind of works against institutions. So, you know, because that, that's the thing, like your search, your search results are only as good as what your content is going to be. And like search in and of itself is, it's not meant to be an end all to your website. You just like put search on there and okay, the website's done. Everything performs really well. Like search is a way to get someone to take an action that contributes to a business goal. And just like everything else, I feel like I keep pounding this on this podcast is that when we build websites, every single bit of content has to have a purpose and every component that's on the site needs to have a purpose and not just a purpose of being there, but a purpose that's tied to a specific business goal. And when Bravery Media takes on projects and we apply that really base level thinking to how to how to design a website and how to approach content we see huge huge gains and i think about with national university when i started working or doing just some some light consulting work for them in late 2017 the first thing we did was we knew that they wanted to increase conversion rates to their programs after looking at their search queries and their analytics and where people were falling off we knew that there was a huge gap in people finding the programs that they wanted and so the easiest thing was to say, hey, you know, you got that little tiny magnifying glass up in the corner. What if we did, you know, and they had a page that had a specific like program filter. So why don't we just move an input, a search input into your hero area that is specifically for programs? Like you hit the site and that is the first thing, the first action that you can take apart from like clicking through the navigation is just to either type in a program name or, you know, they had them already, mm. already put together in topics, but put that search there and just doing that, just putting that one input in the hero, no design changes. Otherwise we increased their conversion rate to programs by 30%, like overnight, like it was very, very easy. And then you can start to think about the UX around it. You can start to think, okay, how do we make the data that comes up better? How do we make how do we make the search look nicer? How do we make it more inviting? How do we fix the design around mm -hmm. it and make it something that's, you know, that's usable for them? And if they skip the search, how do we build in other ways to get back to those tools so that, because we know it's going to be super helpful for them. And so, you know, over the course of a year, we did more research and we did a full redesign of the website. And then once we relaunched with a very similar search and actually National University's internal team tested a few different ways to do this, different different approaches to the search. If it needed to be like, you know, we tested just a just a button to the program filter, and that performed way way lower than actually having the search engine or the search uh, input there. We we tested having filtering capabilities with just radio buttons inside that that hero area on the homepage, and they found that just a simple input for them and their users worked the best, but after they relaunched the site that was redesigned, they had 128% year over year increase in conversion rates on programs. And it didn't take that much. I mean, it took a little bit, <laughs> but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't Sorry, a full, sure, like, yeah, this is a... well, okay. It took, it took, it took, it took a couple months of research and looking at that stuff, but the solution wasn't hard. You know, the solution was an obvious solution. It was one that I kind of came in with thinking, okay, we're going to need to do something with this. But then how do you support the search side of it? But but we see that a lot more. When you 
fix the results or fi- fix the <clears throat> problems that people have with search, that trust issue you were talking about, Will, when you can make them trust or when you can reinforce some trust that the search inputs that are there are going to return results that make sense, that are actually helpful, or when you kind of rethink or make your users rethink or, or maybe not even think of that search input as a typical bad experience with search, which is a little bit of a more difficult thing to do, then you see these substantial gains in business metrics. You can, I mean, I don't know. It, 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 it seems so obvious to me. And there, I know there are a lot of other higher ed pros that have seen this and have done this and are implementing this. But I, I mean, those triple digit increases. <laughs> just, it's, it's crazy. Um, and, and that statistic isn't, uh, that's not in isolation as well. So we see exactly the same yeah. thing. So one of our customers, yeah, moving the, just adding a program search right in the hero increased views of program pages by 40% overnight. And because it just yeah. simplifies the whole reason for the size, the number one reason, you know, Mstone did a digital agency. Oh, should I mention another digital agency on here? Is that yeah, blasphemy? Okay. Uh, so <laughs> a digital agency that I, I won't name, begins with them, did a study and found that the number one reason prospects come to your site is to see if you do pro, if you find programs and whatnot and, and majors. Unsurprisingly, like that is not, that's not surprising. But most of the time, all that pro information is hidden in antiquated menus and stuff like that. And so if you just add just an input on the homepage that's easy to navigate to and allow a prospect to, to find, do you offer this program or major, then you're going to see those great business metrics come through. And that is uncontestable, which is really nice. The kind of the making improvements to website search is because it, it's a different or more segmented audience. It's slightly visitor sort of web teams have a harder time getting investment to make improvements to that. I see that is prevalent. But this one thing, you know, adding a program search is something that you can do in-house, you know, build it with your with your current web team or, or user tool, and you'll see those improvements. And yeah, it's pretty cut and dry. Other sort of, so I used to work in uh, the UK higher education market before here about four years ago, and it's definitely cottoned on now. And you'll see that every university has well not every but most universities have, have something like this and i think the the tide is turning in the states a little bit i think historically as well like if individual schools manage their own programs and stuff like that that it was kind of hard to join the dots from a centralized location but a mm. prospect like if you wanted to go to usc for example you wouldn't necessarily know i need to go to the rossier school of design to find out if you do right. that major you just go to the main location and then you don't even have the option to, to discover it so um, uh, and that's been a definite blocker in the past but as your national u example shows if you can uh, make those changes you see some great results yeah that's one of the hard things with any decentralized institution i think about like harvard and and their websites because they're completely decentralized and their their central office their central website the harvard.edu website they're they're having to work hard to figure out not figure out, but they were having to work hard to to aggregate all of that program information and then build easier pathways. Because like you said, you don't necessarily know Harvard might be an exception because uh, it's Harvard, but at, at most decentralized schools, you don't, you don't necessarily know that you need to go to the school of management, you know, whoever, whoever's name, uh, donor or whatever is on there. You just want to go to the main.edu website and, and figure out, you know, what what's that pathway to get there. It's a product focus, right? It's change. It's shifting how we think about university websites from being just data and information repositories, as they were for 20 years, into being this is your your core sales product, your core marketing product that leads everyone 
into whatever sales position you need them to be in. Like this, this is where you fill the funnel. And I think, I think it becomes even more important as education as higher ed is being reshaped by the coronavirus and by just more people having to stay at home and, and having to learn from a distance. Like you need to figure out and start really considering how do you get the most value possible out of your website and searches Search is, I feel like, one of the most low, it's like the lowest hanging fruit almost of what you can do. Just pay a little attention to it and, you know, and give it, <laughs> give it, give it a little bit of support. And the amount of value that you can get out of improving that experience is absolutely incredible. It, it really is. Um. <laughs> <laughs> My old colleague used to say that search is the middle game. So you got like the start game, which is like you come to the website or you're on Google, you know, or not on Google. You come to the website, you hit a landing page. The, like the middle game is to get to that end goal, which is that main piece of content, be it whatever it is. So it's a conduit to to getting through to it. Yeah. And so when you say that, because it's just a technological frustration, somewhat compared to like the big politics of like moving program pages around or improving your content, which goes through so much and change control, and you've got to get a, you know faculty members involved and all this kind of stuff, which can help you know trying to write program pages in a marketable way they will push back historically forever about that. And they don't know it has to be yeah. exactly what it is. But with something like making improvements to search, it's just making that navigation point more seamless. And when you do that, then you will increase those conversion rates. And you know, one of our customers saw an increase in goal value, which is you know the amount of times hits call to action in, in Google Analytics of, of $4 million over 12 months. So that was you know, $4 yeah. million over that they could contribute to the business just by improving that search navigation. Can we talk a little bit about, maybe just to close up and wrap up the show, I want to talk a little bit about the future of how search and the underlying data structures that support it, what role those are going to play and how prospective students and other people find our content. And, you know, we see this in a lot of different ways, but I think one of the, might be a little early to talk about this, but it's never too early to, to think about it, is voice search with voice assistants. There have been people at conferences talking about a lot of this, but I think when you start talking to folks that do SEO and and pay specific attention to like the rich snippets that Google and other search engines start to pull out of your site, those and, and the direct answers, like you'll see this on Google search engine result pages where there's like a little accordion and it's like, here's the question, here's the direct answer under it. All that's just pulled out by their search algorithms. And then those feed directly into their well alexa or you know and it's the same for for siri and i guess they're google assistant with google but then alexa also and <laughs> everything else but uh one of the things well we talked about how the changes that you make to improve your search results on your website are not search engine specific like they're kind of global like whatever bot is your hitting your site like they're gonna be able to pull up something and so whether you use google custom search on your site or you use uh, a more tailored product like Funnelback's product, whatever changes you're making to improve your your search engine results are going to affect global search results as well. Also, everyone, it's a myth that Google Custom Search affects your Google rankings. So, like, don't buy into that. <laughs> you don't have to have Google Custom Search on your site to rank better in Google. They they don't they don't look at that. But I think these implications in how we structure data, how we improve our search results through the content that we have and through how we set that up affects these future points of what search is going to be. So what are some of the things that you are looking at in terms of where search is going and how search is going to start to affect 
or what different ways is search going to start mm. to affect the way that we market and the way that we need to approach our content and our websites? Yeah, sure. So voice search is an interesting one, which we can to, to track back about it a little bit. We make it you know, search engine optimization has been a decade plus long industry that's done proliferated really well from providing consulting consulting work and there's some really good tools out there like um, bright edge and whatnot that will help you with your organic rankings and and the recommendations that they provide are very agnostic and we have our own seo audit so i can spit that out there which like looks at okay the human readability of your urls and your content and like if you add this markup then it's going to improve on discoverability on all the web search engines and and the concept is completely consistent across all of the different search engines be it being DuckDuckGo, google with their 88 percent of the market but the things that you can do to improve your ranking on google will, will have the same effect on bing and also for your internal search engines so you know the human readability of your urls well put together content and the structure around those pages and that or all of those kind of things um, and all of the auditors will, will, will give those recommendations. And you can pretty much guarantee, okay, if I make these changes to my markup and to my site, to my content, then I can see a better results and, uh, and ranking into, into Google. What we're trying to see now, though, is with, with voice search and with like direct answers, is that there isn't markup that you can put to get a direct answer on into google.com. Like it's just, it, it extracts that content from your page and they don't tell you how they do it. What we kind of you can extrapolate. There was a research paper that was released over the summer that it's basically if you can write content that's kind of asking a question and then answers it in that kind of context of that natural language that people would would ask to Google, then you've got a higher likelihood that it's going to get picked up by the the, the search algorithms and, and given as a direct answer. But they are still the gatekeepers. They still decide what's the source of truth there, which poses a challenge if you're a content moderator on a university website or you're trying to provide or update things as well. So I was talking with a university that wanted to update their, their, their location. It changed four years ago, but the direct answer and snippet is still the old one, which they haven't been able to change. And then we've got the same thing with voice search is that we don't know if they're using that direct answers, you know, what is it that's going to make sure that if you say you know, the name of your college and then a question, what's going to be presented in Alexa or Siri? That's what we don't have. And this is kind of the danger of some of these closed platforms is that we don't really know um, the mechanics of it. And so it, as marketers, it puts it uh, at risk. And so it, talking about our world, like we see universities and Actually, more about private sector clients adding a voice search function onto their website. So, like, especially in a mobile view, if you're banking, you can just go onto your mobile bank and click that button and then say, you know, current account, and you get all of your, or checking account, and you get all your checking account, stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting topic that I don't really have all of the answers for, but we're definitely looking at it quite a lot. Voice inputs would be super cool on university websites. No one's doing it. But really, I mean, like being being able to jump in and saying, you know, saying like your earlier example, you know, I want to fight climate change and it's serving up results for maybe news stories about, you know, faculty that are doing that sort of a thing, which those news stories should then link back to the programs that you offer that, you know, that faculty teaches. <laughs> um, but, you know, I should probably read up more on it, but I wonder if there are studies that showed that there's a little bit more cognitive load when you have to think of it and then send it through your fingers into an input versus just like talk. Well, there's a technological aspect to this. So if when you use voice search, you speak in a more natural, they call it like just a more fluid way and you're more yeah. prohibited to add more search keywords to that. So you'll be like, 
do you do this major? You know, or like, I'm interested. And so the, the query gets longer. Yeah. And then that adds more complexity for the search engine to infer the intent or what they're trying to find. That's the caveat here. This is like voice. I agree. Like having a voice search on your, your university website would be really, really great. But you then do increase. Uh, okay, then we need to have the tech that hacks the intelligence yes. to understand. But when you like, have when you have Google Custom Search Engine on your website, it's yeah, not yeah. going to handle that very <laughs> yeah. well. Your your results are yeah. just going to get worse than they already are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, first things and, first, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, very true. There are a lot of search engines that are shouting that this is going to be the future for it, um, mm. and uh, uh, and we're doing our bit. But we're working on. We kind of realised that the way to do this is to pull resources from like other major organizations and use there's like this natural language processing company called Razor. It's like this open source. So we're then matching using their querying intent engine to match with our querying engine to then return results for for direct questions and we work with a prototype of underscore economics with that but yeah so i think with one of the nice things about all of this big data and all these like open source tools is you can then procure them and then sort of latch them onto each other to provide an experience that that helps visitors all right well thank you so much for being with us today we're we're so excited to have you where where can people find you online you know plug those plug in your plugs <laughs> sure. So you could probably Google Funnelback Search, and uh, after all the ads that are our competitors, you'll find uh, funnelback.com that you can look at our technology. You can find me on LinkedIn, so Will Noble, and also on Twitter at TenBlueLinks. Awesome. Excellent. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Thought Feeder podcast. Uh, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. That really, really helps. Uh, you can find us on any of the podcatchers from Overcast to Apple Podcasts to Spotify. If we're not on your, your choice podcatcher, let us know and we will get there. So thank you very much for listening. Thought Feeder is a production of University Insight. 